0: Thank you, Wendy. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Steve Hambrick. I have the opportunity to be the lead pastor here at Vintage, and this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, another journey. We've been talking about a season, of, like we're in a season, of are talking about the journey into what God has for us as a people, right? And so we've been talking about these crossroads we come to and uh, these different places of trusting the Lord in the context of our journey and these difficult seasons and tensions we experience. And this morning, we're talking about the journey into family. And that's kind of even this, this, the, the heartbeat even in some of our announcements this morning, the idea of being in a small group. It's about connecting with the family. It's about connecting with who God wants you to be, is connecting with people. And the idea is this, I, I make this statement and, and we can talk about it if you don't believe or agree, uh, but I, I believe this. I don't believe you can truly be a Christian if you're just living with you and Jesus, right? Like you could be, if you live in a world where there's no other Christians, then yes, Jesus is enough. But ultimately God designed us to be in community with other people. That's the nature of what it means to be the church. You can't, the church is people. Right. It's the gathering of people that God puts the, uh, puts the church together. And we even see that, uh, this morning we're going to dive into Acts chapter two, verses 41 through 44, a very familiar scripture. That's the namesake of Vintage 242, Acts 242. But the idea is that we believe in the value of family that God places ...people like us into the context of a spiritual family so we can do life together. One of the pieces that we've embraced at Vintage to make that happen is, is this, uh, this pastoral care that we do at Vintage. A little over a year ago, probably two summers ago, uh, we sat down with a group of people. Lori Cabrera was one of the primary people who sat down and said, all right, we 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 want to take care of our people at Vintage. And things had fallen through the cracks, right? Uh, just people who went to the hospital, people who had babies, and we just didn't know about it. They were a little frustrated. We felt bad. And so we've talked about it on a quarterly basis that we then came along and said, hey, we want to start this ministry at Vintage that we call Pastoral Care. And so, Lori Cabrera, stand up, Lori. This is Lori. She's like, all right, yeah. So Lori Cabrera, she was this person who said, I will own this. I'm going to come alongside of it. So for the last year and a half, just about, she has come alongside me. She has run with pastoral care. And So what pastoral care looks like at Vintage is this. You can put this on the screen for me, Daniel. Is this, we, we recognize that sometimes we don't know everything going on in your life, right? And so we said, we the way that we can help you is if you let us know that we can help you. And so we created this website. Or this, this link on our website it says under ministries, click on ministries, go all the way down. It says care and support, right? And so when you click on that care and support, a page is going to come up. It's going to tell us everything that we need to know about what's going on in your life. And so what happened is Lori then received, when you clicked submit, it went to Lori, right? Now, Lori stepping out because the situation is like this situation, this season of life that she's in. She's like, hey, I'm going to step out of this. Jody Claypole, stand up. This is Jody. All right, Jody's stepping in, right? So Lori did the handoff of the baton. And so we also, I would say this, we are where we are today because of Lori. And if you have not thanked her... Right. Being sitting behind the computer sometimes is a thankless job, but she has killed it. Right. She has made sure people in our body have been cared for pastorally by the team that have been working underneath her. And so we are super thankful for her time and we're thankful for Jody stepping in and taking that baton and working and running with it now. Now, you submit the email, and goes to now to Jody. Right. And so what we have is a pastoral care team. A pastoral care team is a group of people who are part of Vintage, right, not literally the pastors, but a team of people who are pastoring and shepherding, right, people like you. And so within 24 to 48 hours, they then respond with an email, a text, a phone call to connect with them, say, hey. You are in the hospital, you're having a baby, something's going on, we want to help. So they connect with you, they come and ask questions, support, they come back and then report to us, hey, here's how we can come alongside of those people who are part of Vintage in a pastoral care sense. Now here's what I'm asking. If you would say, my gosh, I would love to be part of that pastoral care team, I would, I love people, I love shepherding, I would love to come and to meet with and connect with people and come alongside of them in the context of the spiritual family. Then after church today, Jody will be sitting outside, and she would love to connect with you, share a little bit about it, answer any questions that, she, that you may have. If she doesn't know the answers, she'll figure out the answers and let you know. And then you can sign up for the pastoral care team and just be one of those people who gets a phone call. If you're part of that team right now, the pastoral care team, would you raise your hand real quick? Yeah, look around. There's these people, man. Like, yes, yeah, awesome, right? Like, I we're part of these group emails that are going in. Be like, yes, I would love to call. Yes, I would love to connect. And so, if that's you, and you just love to love on people and make them feel safe in these desperate moments, then we'd love to invite you a part of that. Second piece of that is Lori. For the last year and a half, has been receiving prayer emails. So, if you go back to the ministry, uh, this ministry website page. On the link you can go to it, Daniel. For me, thank you in your ministry it says prayer and worship. So just leave that up there. So, so say you have anything going on in your life, You're like oh my gosh, I just wish somebody would pray for me. Oh, Vintage has created a space on the website. I literally can go click prayer and support. And when you do that, it brings up a page of things that we can pray for. We have a group right now, I don't know how many, between 20 and 40 people, I've lost count of people who say, I will give myself to praying for the needs at Vintage, no matter what it is. And so what happens? You click that, you submit, the prayer goes off into the World Wide Web somewhere and somehow makes it to the house of Jody Claypool, right? Or to her phone. She takes that and immediately just Cuts and paste, puts into an email, and immediately, between 20 and 40 people, prayer warriors at Vintage are praying for what's going on in your life, right? It's just a beautiful piece. And then after that, you will either come back say, hey, thank you for praying, or Jody may follow up later saying, hey, we prayed for you. Just want to make sure there's anything else we can pray for you about, whatever it may be, right? And so again... You may not know we have that team, but again, if you'd like to be part of that prayer team, just to come alongside and pray for the needs at Vintage. Connect with Jody or you can just email April at april at vintage242.com and she can forward that information to Jody and put you on that email. The third piece of this is we have a meal train. So you may not know this again, but we have a group of people at vintage. Say, listen, we just we would love to be called upon when those people come home from the hospital. Whatever needs going on, we would love to bring them meals. Now here's the funny thing about this prayer chant, like this meal train. We have a bunch of people who used to come to Vintage who were on the meal train list, right? We, and that's great, because sometimes they still bring meals. But what we would love to do is you put people who were actually part of the Vintage family on a week-in, week-out basis, put them on that list, and when someone comes out of the hospital, you, just are, you are asked, hey, would you be willing to bring a meal? Now, here's the beautiful thing. How often are you bringing meals? Honestly, not that much. And the bigger our list is, the less pressure we feel in that. So we would love for each of you to say, yeah, we would love to be part of that and just have our names on the meal train. So when meals are needed for people who are coming out of the hospital. I would love to love on them as part of my spiritual family and do that. So Angie Henson, she, she's right here and she's going to be sitting outside also. And you can simply go to her today and say, hey, I would be willing to be on the meal train list. Put me on there so I can bring a meal as my schedule permits. And thanks for letting me be part of the vintage family. There you go. So that's this morning this beautiful piece of what vintage is doing for caring for another. Because the idea is this, and we're going to kind of dive into the message now, that we again have this value, this value of of family. And So the idea is that we're always journeying, in my opinion, we're always journeying into family in some form or fashion. I love the heartbeat of Psalm 68. It's the heart of God for us. And I believe it's really this primary thing that defines our value of family at vintage. It says this, and you've heard the scripture before. It says, sing to God. Sing praise, sing in praise of his name, extol him or worship him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. So the idea is like worship him, praise him because he is in control. He's the Lord. He's over all things, right? And it goes in. Now let's describe him. David says, I want to describe him now. He is a father to the fatherless. He is the defender of widows, his God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. You see the heartbeat here. God wants to bring people who are broken. He wants to put them in the context of this family. This verse is all about worshiping our God because he fights to place the lonely in family. He exercises being a good father to them. He defends the defenseless in his family and he fights for those in physical and spiritual prisons. God chooses family for each of us. He puts us in family and empowers our growing. He empowers our growing to be in family. So all I'm getting at this morning, I've talked a lot, right? Deep breath for me, so I don't pass out, right? We believe in the value of family, and we believe if God placed you at vintage, then it is to be a value that you embrace. Whether you're an extrovert, who's like I love people, or an introvert, who's like ah people, right? <laughs> God places each of us in the context of family. Why? Because he recognizes we can't do the life we've been called to do with just me, myself, and my DNA, blood, family. That's not enough. He places us in a spiritual family, recognizing we need one another to grow into who God wants us to be. And so if we're to speak about this journey this journeying this morning, the, one of the journey stories I love in scripture is this picture of God, of placing the herding and the family in the context of the early church in Acts. Again, in Acts chapter 2, 21 through 24, 40, 41 through 44, you may not see this as a journey, but it's a journey for people, people, that culminates in this movement of God to place them around other people that they can do life with and build the church. It's this beautiful, beautiful journey of these people that God has now placed in family. I like this story because of the understood backstory. I love this story because of the understood backstory. If you go back and read before, so in Jerusalem, it's people at Pentecost, right? And they've come from all different nations, and the one thing they have in common is that they're, they're Jewish. They're coming to Jerusalem, right? They're making this journey, in, but they're coming from all different places, all different country, all different nationalities, right? They're coming from different language groups. That's why it's crazy. We, like, they, they were surprised because they each, remember, they each heard the apostles, the disciples when they were praying in tongues, speaking in their own native tongue, which meant that all of them were hearing these different languages spoken because they came from different parts of the world. The one thing they had in common was that they all spoke the same, they all were under the same umbrella of being great Jews or nominal Jews whatever they may have been right but they were there in obedience and this morning i just want you to see this this story i want you to have that back story it says this those so peter had gotten up and preached and says those who accepted his message were baptized right they were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day so 3000 people from different nations, different cultures, different languages, just under one umbrella of Judaism, so same religion, all are in town, and all give their lives to Jesus, and all in one, one moment, they are then grafted into one church. I don't know about you, that sounds crazy. What if 3,000 people all of a sudden showed up today to Vintage and gave their lives to Jesus And they were then being grafted into our body. That would feel and be crazy. So this morning, I want you to see the story. So they, right, the new converts, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. We're going to dive into that word, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Miracles were happening. It was beautiful, right? All the believers, both new and old, were together and they had everything in common. So the story is all about the journey of individuals being brought together by God. All of them, God intentionally had them journey from all of these places representing what Christianity should be all about. Different people, different tribes, tongues, right? Different cultures, all of these pieces coming together to be the church together. I love this picture, right? They are becoming the people of God. They are becoming the church. Tim Keller says about this church, he says, the real task, the real task of Christians, the real task of Christians, this is a quote that he gives, the real task of Christians is to be the church rather than to transform the world. This seems counterintuitive. He's saying the real task of the, of the Christ, of Christians is just to be the church. Rather than think about transforming the world, here we get to show the world a certain type of life the world can never achieve through social coercion or governmental action. Like, I love this quote for this very simple reason. Tim Keller says, listen, we talk about transform the world, change the world, change the world. That doesn't have to be our focus. Our focus just has to be loving one another and being the church because when we do it right, Thousands are drawn to us because of the love of Jesus. And all of a sudden, transformation simply happens because we're doing a phenomenal job of being the church of loving God and loving our neighbor and loving those who are strangers coming into our midst. If we will simply be the church, if we will simply be this people who come together and love one another well and do life together and give ourselves in community and life to one another, then everyone will go, I want that. So it's why it's so important that we value family. Church. It's why we value gathering. It's why we value the hardship and the difficulties of doing life with people who literally seemingly speak a different language than us. It's why we value it. The church changes the world simply by being the church. So these verses in Acts, I think they, they are about this movement. And that movement into family, I just want to dive into it so we begin to learn from this. one. Number one, in Christ, we each journey into family. That's the first thing we see here, right? They're journeying into family. God is bringing them from all of these nations, thousands of people, right? He, he communicates with them through the disciples, right? And says, wow, this is crazy. And they all give their lives to Jesus, right? We journey into family. It's why we exist. We exist to be the church. We exist to be in fellowship. We exist to be family. The starting point for Sin's idea of family is found in verse 42 in the word fellowship. If you've come to infusion, our infusion group, you know, we, we spend one whole week talking about this nature, the value of family. And yes, here's the thing. I love your family. Your family, right? Like when you leave people that you go with, I love and value your family, but I'm not talking about your family. I'm talking about us, your family, grafting into the family of God and what your responsibility is and then what you get in return. Right? There is a responsibility for family. Every single person here knows you don't get to be part of your bio family and have no responsibility. Yes, you have to buy your dad a really bad sweater at Christmas. It's just your responsibility, right? We all have these responsibilities, these calls, these realities of things we're doing. We have responsibilities. And this church family is literally no different. It's no different. In the eyes of God, he would say to you, your family, DNA family, your DNA family's responsibility is to graft into the church and make it better, make it stronger, and to do your part as a family. That's what he would say. And so, in Christ, we journey into family, into this Greek word koinonia. In the 80s, man, this one, 70s and 80s, this word took off. It's like koinonia coffee house, right? This like, really like, cheesy Greek word the church really grasped into. Why? Because it was a little cheesy, but because it was so powerful, this idea of family, dude, this rich word, it means more than just a casual hangout time with a buddy, right? I'm gonna go on fellowship with my brothers and sisters. No, it's this rich word of being family. This intimate relationship that we have with God that leads us to an intimate relationship with one another. Walls down, vulnerability, honesty, transparency, giving the best of my energies to care for you because I prefer your needs over mine. We do that. And it's not just my job. Oh, Pastor Steve, you're awesome, right? Thank you for loving us so well. Here are my people with issues. Will you care for them, please? No, it's because you're their pastor. You're their shepherd. You are their family. We see this picture, I love it, in 1 John 1, 3. John makes this incredible invitation. He says, what, this is verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. So he's speaking to those, right, who says, listen, we've had this thing, this gift thing, this reality, this thing that we've seen and heard, we proclaim it to you about Jesus, right? That you also may have fellowship with us. But here's the us. Our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. You see, it's not just a fellowship to come hang, hang out and be friends, it's a fellowship that I'm going to invite you into the intimate relationship that I have with the Father. And I'm going to graft you into it. And So, yes, we will talk about fantasy football. We will talk about fishing, right? We'll talk about all these things that are really, really cool. Talk about Georgia football on Tuesday mornings after we pray, right? Because prayer comes first on Tuesday mornings at 6.30 a.m. here at Vintage, right? But at 7.35, we're talking about Georgia football. But before that, right, we're grafting into family, being vulnerable, being intimate, praying for the needs and being honest, right? We have this place of deep Communion with God that leads us into an invitation to deep communion with one another with God. That's what it's talking about. It's a communion that we have with God, we invite others into it as if every day you're inviting people into your prayer, your secret place with Jesus. Oh, you need Jesus? Let me invite you into my secret place. I'm going to invite you into that place. Yes, I, I, I hold that very dear and safe and sacred. But I'm going to invite you, not literally saying, come to my prayer time this morning. But you know, getting at this intimate place with the Father, you're inviting people into that. That's the idea of koinonia, this idea of this fellowship that we have with him. As we enter into a relationship with God, we now have this fully intimate partnership and friendship with God. In turn, this automatically links us with the ones that he is linked with. We are all brothers and sisters, meaning the supernatural spiritual connection we have with God means we now have a supernatural spiritual connection with one another. That's the anticipation. Of doing family and making that something that we pursue. But the second thing I think we see here is that family is about handling differences. Differences in the context of relationship. For the most part, I think, I think I'm a pretty good guy. I really do. I think for the most part, people like having me around and being around me. Right. However, when stepping into Randall's family. Right. I didn't feel super confident. Right, now, when I stepped in the room, I first met Randall, right, I step in. You got mom over here. You've got brother Victor over here. They're unique personalities. They're awesome and great, very interesting. But the reality of stepping in, I felt like an outsider. They would speak and they had their own language. They would have their own way of talking, their own sense of humors. I stepped from a family that never shared their opinions, never had conflict. And Randall's family is this one big conflict and opinion fest all the time, right? I'm like, they're fighting. They're fighting. i like, no, we're just talking. I'm like, that's talking. No, it's not. Looks nothing like I'm not walking going, ah, right? This feels painful. You still like one another. Is this weird, right? And so this whole dynamic, that's it was weird, but it was just different. There was no weird in that. It was just different. I remember looking at going, I've got to, like, her mom's like, Steve never shares his opinion. I'm like, when could I speak, right? It's like, come on. And so in this, it's just different. Family. I mean, you get, so I'm sitting there going, reeling. I'm thinking I'm pretty self-confident. I think I'm pretty capable of any situation. I can tackle anything and make things happen, make myself comfortable, make myself known. And I'm like, duh, right? It was hard. I was having to deal with differences, stepping in as an outsider, stepping in as someone who felt different. They spoke a different language than my family spoke. And so in this, it just took time understanding what are on limits and off limits for things you can talk about. Because certain things you have opinions about and other things you don't have opinions about. You know what I'm getting at? It's the nature of family. and So when we look at the context of family in the early church, the journey into their family here. It had to have had similarities. It had to have been similar. Why? Because it says, they literally says, they all came to Christ, 3,000 people. And then they went to somebody's house to fellowship, and none of them lived there, which meant what? They went into one of the people who lived in Jerusalem's house to break bread and to fellowship and to do life together. How scary would that be? I've never met you before in my entire life. You speak a different language, right? You look different. You act different. But yeah, why don't you come into my house? That would be awesome. And when you get there, it's super easy, right? Because if you walk in, like we're going to India, literally. We leave today at 530 to fly to India, right? And so when you walk into India, I mean, you talk about protocol, right? It's like It's like they're just, like, you walk in, and in my house, kids walk in with their shoes on. You don't do that in India. Major faux pas, right? Never do anything with your left hand, because they use it to wipe. I'm just saying, right? So you're like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Like, I put my hand in my pocket the whole time I'm there, just to remember, right? It's just a thing. My point is, it's differences. And so, what if I did that? What's going to happen? I step into their home, and what happens? They get offended. Why? Because I'm completely ignorant and just don't know any better. That's happening. They're having to handle differences as they invite strangers into their home to fellowship, to hang out and to do life. It's differences. Yes, they embraced fellowship. But it was in the middle of extreme differences that they had to that had to be worked through. The day of Pentecost, Peter stood up to preach. Listen, Acts 2, crazy things happened, right? And they all came in. They were all different. They were all part of the same religion, but they had different, they came from different worlds. They came from different worlds. So looking back, so under this, right, like, under this, they, so what they did, they had to work at it. That's the first thing. That's number one. Under this, family has to ha- handle differences. How do you do that? They had to work at it. No people from different cultures with different languages are going to thrive in families. They put forth effort and energy in learning how to connect and communicate. Like they had to do it. Like, you have to learn to do that. One word you can never use in talking about anybody else and who they are, is you can never call them weird. You know why? Because who they are is how God designed them, and he loves it, so it's different than yours, and your way is not the right way, and theirs isn't either. You're both just different. You have to learn. The differences, they had to work at it, right? They had to put forth effort to try to connect. It's all true in all of our relationships, both inside and outside the church. Second, they had to handle tension. We talked about tension last week as a primary piece of our relationship, right? But I believe many times, and hear this, I believe many times we idolize and then some of us idealize family. To idealize family means that we regard family as perfect or better than it actually is in reality. And so people get into church family. Oh, my God, someone's really nice to me, right? Then all of a sudden, all their last 15 years of expectations then land on a group of people or on one person. And we all know expectations are rarely met fully in the context of any relationship. In In fact, God designed us to never be able to fully meet someone's expectations. Why? So we'll turn to him and have our needs met by him. So our expectation going into any church setting or any family setting is I'm going to be let down because no human being can ever meet all of my needs. And so we idealize that, though, and get like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect church for three months until it's not. And you're like, this is the crisis. We're going to leave and go find and idealize some other church and find the perfect church. Good luck. Do you know why it's not perfect? Because you walked in. You know you're not perfect. You know what I am getting at, right? They had to handle the tension. Relationships are creative tension. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen: Iron sharpens iron, and one man or, or woman or one person sharpens another. It's creative tension. Relationships and all of these pieces, right? You know what these creative tension looks like in a relationship. Unmet expectations, right? All of these moments where difficulty, hurtful words, broken trust, unresolved like, expectations, or misunderstandings—you know—you have tension, right? And either you go, "Oh my gosh," and you run away, or you go, "No, we have to handle the tension." And yes, there's a listen. There's a huge difference between abuse in relationship and tension. Abuse is what you run from. Tension's what you run into. Because what happens? What happens when you handle it? What happens when you take your differences, you do the hard work, and you allow someone in the context of conversation, and you go and say, we, Rick, we need to talk, bro. Right? Rick's doing his small group, and so I'm in in Rick's group, and man, I got tension with Rick. Rick's in my opinion, a really bad job leading his group. He's doing a terrible job teaching Luke. So he's never been a pastor in his entire life. And he has for like 40 years or something. 30 years. Right away or how long? A long time. And here he is teaching Luke. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, you missed the Greek syntax again, bro. Like totally, man, like in error right here. What are we going to do? I like, got tension. I either run from his group or I dive in and say, man... Let's talk about this. And Rick goes, man, I'm sorry you feel that way. Let's talk through this. And all of a sudden, we do the hard work of sharpening one another. We talk the tensions. We talk through misunderstandings. We talk through difficulties in relationship with my spouse, with my child, with my dad, with my mom, with my grandparents, with God. Maybe even with myself. I do the hard work of handling the tension. And then what happens? Well, it causes me to practice Humility. It causes me to practice communication. It causes me to engage and practice honesty and vulnerability. It causes us to practice, practice active listening. It causes us to express forgiveness. And what are all of those things? Christ like traits that are caused because we embrace the tension and allow ourselves to be sharpened by those who in our life are who were different than us because we did the hard work. That happened, like, do you remember, later on, the Greek widows? No one's feeding us. Someone feed us. You're going to feed the Jewish widows. You're preferring them. You're being racist in the moment. Come and love on me, too. And so the disciples go, oh, my gosh, it's right. You're right. Someone, when you get Stephen, will you take over the feeding of the widows so the Greeks make sure they get fed? and The Greek widows aren't starving to death. Tension in the early church. Have you ever read that Peter and John just did not get along? Did they ever get along? We have no idea. Several moments in Scripture, then... All I'm getting at, I mean, there has to be tension that we handle. What happens when we handle it? Man, we are sharpened in the moment. The purpose of family is to love someone to greatness, no matter what it takes, Even if that means tension and a brokenness for us. Family is about formation. Family is about formation. It's about me taking Larry and saying, Larry, bro, I love you, but dude, you're going this way. You're royally messing up. Let me help you. And he's like, ah, actually, thank you. (laughs) Right? That's what it's about. It's about handling it, which then leads us to number three. This ultimate overarching piece three. Family then must become our value. Spiritual family must become a value that you embrace. It's not something that vintage does. It's not something that Randall and the rest of staff or leadership do. It's a value that we embrace as a whole. Family is a value of vintage, but it only goes as deep or as far as the people of vintage will take it. I don't want to speak to, listen, I don't want myself or you to speak to someone outside of vintage and sell vintage as a family that values family and then you bring them in and they can't find it. There is nothing more heartbreaking or earth shattering than us selling something to people and then us not delivering it. That's terrible. If you're in the business world, you know how bad that is, this business. We want to primarily be about family. We live upward in relationship with Jesus, outward with our neighbors, but inward with doing family with one another. We must truly, truly engage this family value, koinonia. We talked about it a second ago, koinonia, right? This idea, this value of hospitality. This value, excuse me, in the context of quantity, this idea do of doing fellowship, there is this other word that really was in, that was a part of the Jewish fabric of who they were. It was the value of hospitality. It's the Greek word phyloxenos, right? It means phylloxo. Philo simply means love of friends. Love of friends. Brotherly and sisterly love. Xenos means stranger. So it literally means to love a stranger. In this, in this situation here in the, in Acts, they would have embraced a lifestyle of invitation, bringing strangers into their own homes for, to be a family to them because it was a value that Jews who embraced hospitality engaged. So it wasn't new to Jesus people. They were simply practicing a value that defined Judaism for years upon years upon years. That's why when, when Jews would wake up in the morning, they would open their front door and it was open to anybody because their door was always open because they were just one big family. It was a value that defined them. Jews did not have back porches because all they did is hung out in the front porch so they could do family with people. That's why it was a big deal, right? When the guy closed his door at night and someone came and knocked on it, the parable Jesus told, because everyone knew in Judaism at literally a certain hour, everyone would close the door. It was now for my DNA family and everyone would go to their place of refuge or you're invited into my home. And now we're closed off because that's what you do. You open the door in the morning and you close it at night. But yeah, because you embrace hospitality. Why? Does, what does this mean? In the context of Acts two forty one through 44, this wasn't something new. And the invitation of strangers into their home was not a new Jesus-induced phenomenon. It was who they were. It was a value that defined their family life and their culture. Why do you love Acts 2, 41 through 44? Because of their value of family. That's why you love it. It's why you're drawn to it, because you want to be part of that type of family. But the problem is so often is we're not just, we want to be part of that, but sometimes we're not willing to be that. And so here in this moment, right, it's what Keller's talking about. We have to truly value the invitation. We have to value this value of family and value hospitality as an open door as everywhere that we go, every day. As Jesus said, the world that we were, the world will know that we're Christians by our love for one another. Specifically here, the stranger, the, the new person who walks through our doors, either here in our church, in our neighborhood, at work, or the person that God just brings along your path today when you walk out these doors. You see, every day the idea of fellowship and the idea of church is that wherever you go, you are in fellowship with God, right? As Harvest talked about, we're hungry for more of God. We're hungry for more of God. We're hungry for more of God. But let me tell you, when He begins, you know, you know it's God. When you've eaten, right? You listen. You 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 will know you've eaten of God if all of a sudden your eyes are open for more of Jesus and more of love for stranger. They don't live independent of one another. You cannot be a lover of Jesus and hunger for more without your love of neighbor and your hunger for helping neighbor to increase also. They have to go together. They cannot be separate. That's why the church is dying, because we want more of Jesus and we don't want to give our lives away to those who are in need. That's why we have lost credibility. We want revival because we want good feels, but we don't want to give our life away to those who are dying and going to hell. That's what's wrong. That's why God, in a sense, is not ultimately moving in the way that he wants to, because we want want this from God without realizing the cost of what it means. We hunger for the fullness of God. Why? Because we value what God values. Jesus came to earth to die, to put the lonely in families. It's why he came. It's why he came. We have to embrace this. So here's the part. Listen, the good news is this God puts you in family. So, as Harvest sang about it and led us through, and we perceived, right? That's beautiful and it's right. It's only half the story, right? God puts us in family. He recognizes our broken places. He is sensitive and caring and compassionate. He draws us in. So God puts you in your brokenness, into family, and the responsibility that we have in that is to love you, to care for you, to come alongside of you, and to help you be who God called you to be, right? To handle differences, to walk through that, to handle the hardships, to handle the tensions, to handle the difficulties, so that in turn, right, We can then embrace that as a value we express. We do unto others what we wish someone had done when we first walked in the doors ourselves. People listen all day. Oh, they didn't do this for me. I'm like, then do it for somebody else. Stop sitting there going, oh, me, 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 me. And go, God, I'm going to do it for others. Do it for others. Do it for others. Do it for others. Donald Miller wrote a book called To Own a Dragon. It tells of a documentary he watched on orphaned. Teenage male elephants who were very much struggling in their lives, right? The narrator talked about the frustration these elephants were feeling because they had basically gone through a, what we'd call a basically an early puberty cycle and it was supposed to be this short but it lasted much longer and so because it lasted longer they became highly aggressive and they were literally trampling villages and trampling people, right? It's horrible, I know, right? But there was just these, cause these, these, these elephants were just really struggling because in the context of their life When they start this cycle that they go through, every single male elephant goes through this. They should go through this. They all like—I mean, you know how it is. Like they became angry, like all men usually are, right? The one emotion we are really, really good at, right? They became angry and frustrated. Ah! But when that happens, male elephants then are supposed to have are supposed to have older male elephants who sense that they're going through that and come around them. And in coming around them, that, that, that elephant, that young elephant literally leaves home and then begins to travel with this male elephant, this older adult male elephant. And his job is to basically teach him and to train him how to use his aggression, how to use his emotions, how to use all this for the betterment of what's going on with the elephant herd. And to literally take that and shape it so that elephant can become who he was designed to be. Because without older elephants to come alongside this young male elephant and to teach and to train and bring him into his family, he will live aggressive, he will live dangerous, he will live separated and alone for the rest of his life. So many of us are the young male elephant. Or we're just just call it male or female, young elephant, and some of us are the older elephant. And so the first place we begin is like, what are we? And the reality is, them, we're both, aren't we? And so we have to begin to be honest and go, man, God, put the lonely, the aggressive, the difficult, the overwhelmed, and the hurting, and the weird. Into family because they were dying. And someone, some people, no matter how old you are, needs to come alongside of them. And love on them. To be mature and help them. And to bring them into family and graft them in. It's the journey that God is making for the 3,000. Do you not think there were some weirdos in the 3,000? Do you think that there were some people like, you can have him. You can take him home. You're a little more spiritual than I am. Right? Peter, you can take the person over here. Hey, right? God brings us into the family for the purpose of growing and maturing us. He brings us into family so we can become family for other people. This morning, Harvest is going to come back up and lead us in a time of ministry and I talked for a long time, so be sure to five till. Yeah, that's good. I'll be honest with you, I kind of went somewhere different this morning. I just didn't anticipate getting all enter- energized and excited. I feel like God's really speaking this fact of, man, he, he, he loves you and wants to put you in family. That's a beginning point, right? Don't think about doing for God before you first be with God. That's the key. Be with him. Be loved by him. Receive from him. Let him wash over you, right? So first be with God and first be in family. But then immediately we're going to say, now, yeah, but God, you've put me in I will want to do unto others. And then start being family. Let me just be honest. A couple of things. I no one has time. No one has time to be family for the broken. They don't. No one has extra time. We're all live beyond our margins. We all think we're too important, so we don't make time for the important things. And so part of it for us is just begin to be honest. Like, God, I, I'm struggling myself. I need to be with you. Then be with God. Let him wash over you. Here's the deal. Don't spend six months journeying back to God. He's already with you. Just go, thank you for being with me, God. You love me. I don't just spend some long journeying back into his presence. You're already here. Thank you, God. And allow them just to wash over you. Now, God, thank you. I'm already in family. I give you my broken expectations. Some of you guys to let go. Just let go of your unmet expectations. Let go of those people who have hurt you. If you're not, either, either let go of it or go have the tension conversation. If you can't have the tension conversation, then stop complaining about it. It's not getting you anywhere and you're not getting anybody else anywhere. Deal with it. Let, just release it to God and let go. Forgive and move forward Or have the conversation. Those are your two options. It's a crossroad. Deal with that. Then move forward. You move forward. Oh, then I'm going to enjoy, release my own expectations. I'm just going to begin to enjoy what God's given me here. And then begin being a neighbor. I thought really practically speaking, some of you walked in today. And you were hoping someone would say, hey, come sit with me. All right. Some of you came in, you sat down, and you didn't think about anybody else and about anybody walking through the door. You didn't think about your friends walking through the door and want to sit with them. You didn't think about someone who just walked the door you didn't know and invite them to sit with you. Why? Like, isn't there, is there anything better than being wanted by someone else in a relationship? Is there anything better? Is there anything, oh, someone actually wants to know me and be my friend. What if we all do that? What if we clamor every Sunday to get someone to sit with us? Like, we're almost like playing tug-of-war. Like, oh, man, this is kind of awkward, but kind of awesome and exhilarating at the same time. Be, Be nice. Just be nice. Do you know who was nice, Jesus? It was a primary trait that defined him and a value that ultimately people would have thought, he's just super nice. I don't really know him that well, but he's just super nice to me. Be nice. Second, I've been thinking about this for a month. I was planning to do a sermon around it. I just give it to you for free this morning. The whole message behind it. Don't wait for someone to die before you talk about how great they are. Don't wait. Don't wait until somebody dies and go, "Well, they were so awesome. I never told them, but." Tell them. Tell your spouse, when's the last time you sat down with your husband or your wife?" and just talked about why you thought they were awesome? When's the last time you did that with your adolescent or adult child? When's the last time you did that with the person who said, "Listen, I, I, I do it all the time. It's a discipline. I sit with people, and, and, and I, I mean, I get this guy. That's this guy part of our fishing team. He's kind of one of those hard guys. You know, I'm getting is it, hard. He's not touchy feely at all. He's not like emotional. He gets around to the guys, and you just, you know, I just I listen, I watch him listen. As soon as I've done, I've made it my goal to soften him up. So whenever I see him, I go in. He puts his hand out, and I go, right. Whenever around his kids, I tell his kids why he's great. I'll sit, on the con- I'll sit on the phone with him sometimes. i said, dude, you know what? You're... I'm going to be honest with you. I don't say hard, but i say the real word because it makes more sense to him. I said, but dude, you are so tender. You love so well. And you put this persona out. He goes, he sits there and it's this complete silence. But we have... You know what happened when I did that? All of a sudden we talk. Like we have real talks. Because I, think, I tell him he's great. Even though we get these hard pieces. So all I'm getting at for y'all this morning. Let's just really journey into family. Some of us have a little bit. But let's really journey in. Let's not just leave when things get hard. Unless God's calling. There's a specific thing. Right? God's leading you to. No. Let's dive in. Let's not make this like, oh, yeah, it's vintage, you know, it's like a part of my life. Make it a vital component of who you are and give yourself to it and be a friend and invite people to sit with you. I've just learned over the years to be, to have friends, get to be a friend, to receive love. Sometimes you got to love. I'm just saying it's a value of family. All right. I've talked a long, a lot. I've done, done this trying to land this morning because I just felt there's so much to this. But does everyone understand, do you understand the heart of the message? Everyone just do this Do you understand, right? I don't want you to feel guilty. If you feel guilty this morning, please let us release you from that in Jesus' name. Like you are lovable. You are likable. People love you, right? That is, They want you to receive them and come alongside of them. Super simple. All right, let's pray. Father, Thank you for this morning. Thank you for our worship together and harvest being here. God, she's not here at Vintage anymore, but she is forever part of our family. That's beautiful. Because family is about our relationships with people that are eternal in nature. And we just pray, Jesus, at Vintage, would you help us to value family in a much more rich and deep way? God, both receiving and expressing. God, would you make us better? It, not running away, but running towards people, God. Sometimes it's going to be Jesus and me because that's just more comfortable, less exposing, and it's never safer. And so, God, I pray you'd help us to find healing in front of some of those places. Would you bring us into family, God? Would you connect us heart to heart? Would you do a work, God? Would you make us, like Keller talked about, a church of people? Don't have to worry about transformation because we're loving so well. Transformation's just flowing from us, because you're flowing. They do this work in us, Jesus.